you love journalism, learning stuff and sharing stuff with other people, which is fundamentally what journalism is, the odds are good that one of these days you're going to find yourself in a position where you're not getting a regular paycheck for that work and you don't have much to do. Maybe you're on break from classes. Maybe you're a graduate looking for your first job. Or maybe you'll find yourself laid off or otherwise underutilized. And if you're one of those people who love journalism, love learning stuff and sharing it with other people so much that you just can't quit, those are the times you're going to want to know how to be able to commit journalism on a shoestring. Now, I've found myself in one or another of those categories a number of times since I graduated from college about, I'm ashamed to say, 40 years ago, including just a few months ago. And yes, I am the vice president of a new startup, Rivet Radio. But here's how being a vice president of a startup sometimes can feel. While you're waiting to find out if a company is going to become profitable, if the investors are going to flock there, and if the company will become an ongoing concern, the pay is not always great. And you can wind up with a lot of free time. In January, as a new U.S. president took office, I was getting, let's say, restless. And so were some of my friends. One of them, a working mother I'd known since she was in high school, your age, sent me a message on Facebook in January. She said, every time I looked at Facebook or Twitter today, terrible things were happening in our government. Is there any news source that's keeping track of things that are happening day by day just in bullet point form? I need to stay informed, she said, but I need to work too. If there is a resource you have found or you are doing one, please let me know. Well, that's basically a newscast. Right? And I've always been something of a newscaster. For instance, here's something I created at the age of seven. It was delivered from my living room to another part of my living room by Beanie Copter. It's Mattel's official Beanie and Beanie Copter. Wind it up. The only official Beanie Copter comes with two copter blades. You can tell it's metal. It's swell. Inside the little propellers was a tiny little capsule-like space where you could fold up secret messages and put them in. And that's how the Beanie Copter news was delivered. Sort of the foreshadowing of what was to come. I went on to work for my high school newspaper, the Carl Sandburg High School Aquila. Is anyone from Sandburg here? No, they should be. Uh, 
for the first 20 years or so of my adult career after graduating from the University of Illinois, I was a radio newscaster at an AM-FM combination in Aurora, not far from here, and then at legendary rock station WXRT-FM, and later at WNUA, now defunct smooth jazz station in Chicago. And in 1998, I made the leap from radio to this new thing called the Internet with the then new thing called ChicagoTribune.com, where I launched and produced a daily email newsletter called Daywatch. Revolutionary in its time for a, a few, couple of reasons. One, it was conversational, not like uh, newspaper writing, but more like a radio newscast. Surprise, surprise. And two, it dared to link to websites that weren't part of the Tribune family. For the last more than a decade or so, across several jobs, I've continued that tradition of learning things and then linking to them on Facebook and on Twitter. And so when my friend, one of several friends with that same concern that I shared with you earlier, asked after a news source that is keeping track of things, I had a couple of thoughts. One, hey, I know how to do that. And two, well, what have I been telling job seekers and others with too much time on their hands to do? And the answer to that question for more than a decade almost always takes this form. Don't wait for someone to pay you to do what you love doing. Start a blog and just do it. So I just did it. I'm going to take you now step by step through what I did, how I did it, and as you'll see, there's nothing here that I'm going to show you that you can't do right now very, very cheaply. And we'll keep a running tally as we go of what it cost me. I created a blog with the working title of Chicago Public Square on blogger.com and on wordpress.com. I wanted to compare the two. They're both free. They both have free entry-level services. The hard part is picking and tweaking a design, a process that offers near-infinite possibilities and can be hard to quit. I picked Blogger because in the end, I liked the interface better and I found I was able to tweak the design more easily at almost no cost. I wound up buying private design, but I could have used one of Blogger's free designs too. The cost of that design, $10, but it could have been zero. I could have gone with a free design. I worked very hard on that cash register sound. I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> it's not easy to get that to happen at the same time, the little price tag comes up, so I hope you enjoy it because you'll be seeing it a lot. <laughs> I came up with and registered a name. ChicagoPublicSquare.com was available from Google Domains for the very cheap cost of $12 a year. This is one that's still available if you're interested. $22. I plugged my blogger blog into that domain, just a few lines of code, very easy to do, cost $0, we're still at $22. I signed up for a free MailChimp service, let you send up to 12,000 emails a month to 2,000 or fewer subscribers for free. It's a pretty high barrier, so if you can pass that barrier, you're doing very well. But up until that point, it's free. You can manually create your email in MailChimp, or you can have MailChimp scrape your website each day at the same time and automatically send whatever it finds there. Cost? Zero dollars. Still at 22. I made sure 
that a MailChimp subscribe box pops up when people visit this website, chicagopublicsquared.com. Cost? Zero. How about a round of applause for the cash register side? Thank you. Really, I'm unworthy, but thank you very much. I printed up a thousand business cards because why not? Cost $28.65. So it'll round up to uh, $51. By the way, I have lots of these cards, so if you see me and want a card, stop me. I'll be happy to give you one, too, if you want. But I began publicizing it. Now, basically, this meant telling friends and asking them to tell their friends. Now, in my case, my friends happen to be in the media business, some of them. Media blogger Robert Feeder, Lars, the mystery man who runs the Chicagoland radio and media website. If you're interested in media in Chicago, these are two people you should be following on Twitter, Facebook, and, and their websites. And Justin Kaufman at WGN Radio invited me on his show to talk about it one Friday night just before I launch. The principle, though, is the same. Your friends can be and can help you grow your audience. Cost? Zero dollars. Unless you're paying your friends. Which I don't recommend. Actually, I left out a step. Step zero. Which is, get a lot of friends. Both in real life and online. If you're not, right now, building a huge list of connections on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, or wherever your friends are hanging out, get to work on it. I mean that sincerely. That may be the single most important bit of advice I have for you today. There's a reason that over the years I've given my journalism students extra credit for every 20 Twitter followers they gain. Real people, not spam bots. Those connections are golden in the workplace, when you apply for a job, employers look at your Twitter and Facebook and all your other social media connections, and they see dollar signs. 10,000 people this person could bring to us for his or her work? Cool. And in my case, thousands of Facebook and Twitter friends made up the core audience for my little startup here. Cost? Zero dollars because I didn't pay him anything. So, where are we? Total expenditures to launch Chicago Public Square, $50.65. Round it up, 51 bucks. That's lawn mowing or babysitting money. That's allowance money. And as you'll remember, even those expenses were optional. I didn't need the business cards, but they're nice. That's it. I'm in business. Now, one more thing. Sending to that many people every weekday has pushed me into MailChimp's tier for paid customers. So that is $15 a month. Total cost so far as of April, $65.65, plus another $15 a month to come. Still allowance money. But here's the good news. At least a few of my friends get it. They see the value in advertising in Chicago Public Square, even though the numbers aren't huge. Now, they don't pay much yet, but they paid enough that I can say that Chicago Public Square has now turned a profit. If you discount the value of my work to zero. 
which I'm willing to do for a while because it's fun. That work isn't easy. I want to tell you a little bit more about how I do what I do. I decided to make Square a five days a week newsletter, beamed up, blasted out by MailChimp every morning at 10 o'clock. By the way, you're all welcome to subscribe. It's free to you, not to me. I begin work around 7.30 or 8 each morning. I wrote today's last night. And work until MailChimp then sucks it up and sends it out. It's an intense couple of hours because there's so much news in this era of Trump in which we live. But one advantage of having MailChimp sweep the site precisely at 10 o'clock every morning is that I have to stop because it's time. One of the downsides of working on the web, working in the digital space, that didn't exist in the days of newspapers with their print runs once or twice a day, or television and radio news with their newscasts at the top and the bottom of the hour, is that when it was time, it was time. You worked until the presses rolled or the mics went live, and you did what you could do with what you had. On the internet, well, I'm reminded of Leonardo da Vinci's famous quote, art is never finished, only abandoned. And if I didn't have that deadline, I would have a hard time abandoning the day's work. Anyone know that feeling? It's not, I can go back, I can fix it. Oh, there's a typo. Oh, I could make a better photo there. Anyone had that feeling when you're working on the internet? Even Facebook lets you go back in and tweak your posts. Raise your hand if you've had that feeling. If you haven't, you will. So what is the work? Well, I've included some original reporting, like the first video tour of Frank Lloyd Wright's newly renovated Unity Temple in Oak Park, a world-famous landmark. now we're in the sanctuary, landmark. yeah. So this is almost done now, and you can begin to see the... They have the scaffolding up because they're placing the uh, art glass ley lights below the, um, the skylight. I forgot to point out at Unity House, you could actually see the new skylight that was up there. It was conducted with just an iPhone and a microphone attached to the iPhone by a cord and a friend holding the camera. I've created a piece on how to get hired in the media business, little original writing for this. And I've broken news of a Chicago celebrity's guest shot in the Dick Tracy comic strip. First read in Chicago Public Square. But for the most part, Square is a news roundup. Need-to-know items from the nation and the world and the region, important and, I hope, interesting for Chicago-area readers. And how I find those items is something that you can do for any subject that you choose, whether it's a sports team, pro or local, school, a local school, you know, educational issues in the community, or your favorite element in the periodic table, anything you want. What I do is I follow smart and knowledgeable people on Facebook and Twitter, people who know more than I do, and there are many, 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 probably most of humanity knows more than I do about everything and anything. In my case, uh, the people I follow includes many of the Chicago and Washington-based journalists I know personally, but it also includes many that I don't know personally, but whose work I respect, like David Farenthold, who, as Harvard's Neiman Journalism Lab put it, went from tweeting pictures of his notepad to winning the Pulitzer Prize, as he did earlier this month, for his reporting on Donald Trump's charitable donations. 
For you, the lineup of people you follow could be experts in ultimate frisbee or reporters covering your local school board or your high school sports teams. Bottom line is follow smart people. And whatever your specialty, whatever you choose to focus on, or maybe you choose to focus on nothing in particular and everything in general, that's okay too. You can let one of my favorite apps, the Nuzzle app, know who you follow on Facebook and Twitter. And Nuzzle then serves up the articles that they're sharing. And then you get to look smart by sharing them and commenting on them, and eventually, just by virtue of being exposed to these smart people and what they're sharing, becoming more of an expert yourself in whatever field because of it. And then, if you put it on a blog, you have a blog that people who care about that subject matter will want to follow. Side note, Nuzzle lets you generate free daily email newsletters. You don't have as much control over graphics and content as you do if you use Blogger or WordPress, but you can say, hey, every day blast out what the people that I'm following are sharing, and you have an opportunity to add commentary and generate your own email newsletter. It's kind of a nice, easy, low bar if you're interested in exploring the email newsletter space, which I think is really exciting and one of the most valuable and effective means of communicating with an audience now out there because you control it. There's no Facebook algorithm. There's no Twitter algorithm. It's people who have given you their email address and given you permission, encouragement even, to send them stuff. So you have a, an audience that's expressed an affinity up front for what you're doing and an audience that has said, yes, let me hear from you. Great way to communicate with people. So back to Chicago Public Square. If the number of subscribers keeps growing steadily, and that's, a, that's an if, it's a big if, significant if. The value of the ads that I might sell and the work I do to justify them will grow. And I come back to the fact that it could be a business. What have I done that you can't do? Nothing. I'm guessing most of you are here because your schools value journalism. They have a student newspaper in many cases. Caring faculty members who are advising you and willing to get up early and ride buses out here to the College of DuPage and make sure that you're getting some good advice from many, many smart people here today, and me. Thank you for laughing. That was a joke. Uh, but I'm here to share a radical notion with you. Teachers, I hope you'll forgive me. The wonderful thing about the era of communication in which we all live is this. If your schools cut those programs, and sadly, that is happening in a lot of places, or if you find yourself just not fitting in with the programs that exist or just impatient to strike out on your own, you can keep going without them. Start a blog, tie it to an email list, and get to work reporting. And you don't have to do it daily. You can do it whenever the news dictates or whenever you feel like it. And you can do all of that, dot, 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 on a shoestring. Before I sign off, few thoughts on how to do that well. Writing counts. This is now a cliche at many journalism conferences, but please know that I agree. Writing is the number one most important skill. I don't care if you're going into television, radio, newspapers, magazines, the internet itself. Writing counts. 
Be a good writer. People know good writing from bad writing, even if they're not writers themselves. Be a good writer, the most important skill of all. I'll say it one more time. Writing counts. Style counts, too. Even if most people don't know Associated Press style, they have an innate sense of what looks professional and what doesn't. Anyone who's ever read a book, a newspaper, or a magazine, randomly capitalized words and commas and periods outside quotation marks just look weird. Develop your sense of style and stick to it. In doubt, can't afford an AP style book, the cheap way to go about it is go to AP's website, search for a word or phrase, and see how AP standard handles it. Does AP capitalize governor before a name or doesn't it? Does it abbreviate attorney general? When does it abbreviate it? When doesn't it? A few years ago, I was talking to a, a middle school class and was asking the students, do you ever look at a website and wonder whether it's professional or not? This was before the phrase fake news came in vogue, but we were talking about how you decide whom to trust or what sources to trust on the Internet. And I asked the kids to raise their hand, and a few kids raised their hand, and I said, okay, why didn't you trust that website? And a young man of very few words said three exclamation points. <laughs> and I said, why? What's wrong with three exclamation points? And he said, too many. <laughs> People know. Even if they're not studied in the ways of AP style or the University of Chicago manual of style. And metrics count. Pay attention to your numbers. This is another whole speech. I'm available if you need me next year. Your subject line determines whether anyone opens your email. Watch those open rates to see how your subject line did. If you're not changing your subject line from day to day, you're missing a bet. If you're repeating it from day to day, it just becomes noise in people's email boxes. Learn about your audience from those subject lines and those headlines that work best and study what readers click on when they open your email. If the thing at the bottom gets the most clicks, your readers are suggesting maybe it should have been at the top, maybe even in the subject line, or the things higher up in the issue didn't have the best hooks. If you're lucky, you'll be able to do an all-donut issue. This was the April Fool's edition of Chicago Public Square. All-donut news. The subject line was donuts, donuts, donuts. A lot of people opened it. So remember that the sky is the limit. Your blog and your email services can link anywhere, and they become a shell for any kind of creative work you do, whether it's video, audio, more writing, photos. You can link to the competition. You can link to your own work. You can link to other reporters. The hard part, as our friend Da Vinci might agree, is deciding what not to do. Thanks for listening. Go out there, have fun, and do good. Really, really, that, the cash register thing wasn't that hard. We have time for questions, right? Uh, and I'm happy to take any, if anybody has any. I'm now untethered from the laptop. Yes? What is your favorite part about being a what is my favorite part about being a writer? That is tough. And again, one of the reasons I went into radio news is radio 
as much as anything, is all about writing, really, and, and a little bit about reading. I like writing things that make me laugh, that make me smile, that move me. I like writing things. My wife is my target audience. Um, if you're lucky in your life, you'll have someone who is forthright and honest and tells you when something is good and something is bad. And if that person says, that was really funny, or no, that's not really funny, or boy, I really wanted to read more about that, that is the person that you want to write for. I, I, uh, it's not exactly an answer to your question, but I want to give credit to a, a, a good friend, Lee Bay, who for many years was the architecture critic at the Chicago Sun-Times, and is still an architecture critic. And I've worked with him at WBEZ and at Rivet. Many years ago, Lee was writing something. And he turned to his colleague, Neil Steinberg, who is still a columnist at the Sun-Times, very good columnist. And uh, Lee gave Neil a piece of writing and said, I want your opinion on this. Read it like you hate me. And Neil wrote a whole column about it, which I remember vividly, and I've used this at every opportunity to talk to people about writing. That is such a gift when someone will read something of yours like they hate you. Read it like you're someone who doesn't want to read it. Read it like you're someone who thinks that I am just a terrible person and tell me whether it works for you. Tell me everything that's wrong with it. To have someone who will read something you've written like they hate you is a gift. It's not always an easy gift to accept, but it's a gift. And to develop that ability on your own to read something that you've written like you hate you and to be able to stand back and say, yeah, man, I hate him, but you know what? That's a darn good piece of writing. That's a great feeling. So I like reading something that I've written like I hate me, which I don't, and then saying, yeah, that still holds up. To know that something passes your highest standards for involvement, engagement, humor, tragedy, that's a, that's a great thing. Yes? How did you know you wanted to be a journalist? When that beanie copter propeller landed in the other room? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I had many inspirations in my life. And, and my father was a journalist, taught journalism at another community college, Moraine Valley Community College. Clark Kent was a journalist. Peter Parker was a photojournalist, still is, but was when I was a kid. They seem to be having a lot of fun. They seem to know things before other people did. The fact that in Peter Parker and Clark Kent's case and Mike Royko's case, columnist for the Chicago Daily News and the Sun-Times and later the Tribune, they were out there writing things, reporting things, learning things that on some level made people's lives better. Whether in Clark Kent's case, it's because he learned about it from the wire machine and was able to fly out there and save someone right away. Or there's Mike Royko's ability to harness public outrage to make the world a better place. So it was all of that. It, and I have to tell you, and you probably know this and you've probably heard this, journalism is a wonderful career for people who are easily bored, people who always like learning or experiencing something new, People who like talking to people who are smarter than they are. It's, when you're a journalist, when you're a reporter, and yes, I know reporters are being held in poor esteem in our society nowadays. Nevertheless, when you're a reporter, 
it gives you the permission to ask questions of anyone, anywhere. They may not answer. They may not return your phone calls. But you at least have the power to call or walk up to and ask any question that you want. And if you like learning things that you didn't know before, it's a great career. Yes? What were one of the setbacks that you had while trying to be a journalist? Like any challenges you had to face or um, anything that prevented you from trying to work? You know, uh, there have been a, a few occasions, for me, mercifully very few occasions in my life when, you know, I, no one has been willing to pay me to do the job. Three months in 1998, you know, I was laid off from a radio job just before I joined the Chicago Tribune. So there were times when uh, no one was paying me to do work, but the nice thing about 1998 and virtually every day since then is that if no one is paying you, you can create a blog. You can get your stuff out there. It becomes a portfolio, a calling card. The first thing I did in 1998 when I was laid off from my radio job was start a blog. And it, they weren't even called blogs then. That word did not exist at that point. But I started a website. And I started interviewing people. I had connections to authors. I interviewed them uh, by email in some cases, got their answers, published them. And I began to learn HTML, which was an arcane art at that point, the art of coding things so that they looked nice on the web. That, in turn, helped me get the job at the Chicago Tribune uh, when there were very few broadcasting people who understood the internet. And when the Tribune at that point was looking for someone to join the newspaper organization who had a sense of real-time broadcast-style radio news. I just this week, actually, uh, shared on my website a letter I got when I was a college student at uh, the University of Illinois, WPGU. Uh, it was a rejection letter. They had a radio DJ contest. And it was a wonderful letter from a guy named John Platt, who was the program director at WXRT. And he said, thanks for entering. You didn't win, uh, but, but you have a great future in radio. By the way, if you're interested in a future in radio, you should know that your entrance uh, tape had a few problems. So, you know, that was kind of a setback. Hey, I didn't win a contest. And then when I got out of college, I wrote a letter to John saying, hey, you said I had a great future in radio. How about hiring me now? He didn't hire me. And then a few months later, I wrote to his news director when they did have an opening and said, hey, how about hiring me? And he didn't hire me. But then, about a year and a half after that, I wrote to the next news director at WXRT and said, hey, how about hiring me? And he knew, because I'd talked to the program director and his predecessor's news director, that I wasn't a bad guy, that I had a future in radio. And he hired me, and I wound up working there 10 years. So as I said on the internet this week, your application for a job, your first connection with an organization is not your last. It doesn't have to be. And when you interview for a job or a scholarship or a competition, even if you lose, it's not so much about that time as it is about the next time or the time after that. It's about making a connection, making an impression, being someone that they will think of the next time they have an opening. And learning from that and coming back the next time with something better, something stronger in terms of your application for whatever job you have. In this new and scary political era, do you... Oh, wait. I'm going to stop you right there. He said, in this new and scary political era. 
I refuse to be scared. You also should refuse to be scared. It's unusual. But anyway, in this era, scary or not. New and frustrating. Frustrating, maybe. Okay. I'm not frustrated. Go ahead. Of politics, are you, um, are you concerned, perhaps, uh, about the future of journalism in national and I am more excited about the future of journalism now than I have been for many, many years. I am not scared about the future of journalism. Journalism is more powerful now than ever. Journalism is coming from everywhere and everyone, potentially, as I've just shown you. You can be a journalist on a shoestring. It's going to be very difficult for anyone in this country to keep journalists from doing the work they do. But I'm more excited than ever. There are more places for you, young journalists, to work, to apply for work than ever before. Some of them aren't very big. Some of them are big. There was a a cliche a few years ago in the journalism business about right-sizing companies. And it was a, I don't even know it was nice, but it was a way of saying, we're laying people off. And yet there's truth in that statement of right-sizing. It was, in essence, big companies struggling to get down to the point where in this new media environment, they had the right number of people to create the right product to balance the revenue that they could generate. They were too big for the, the splintered media landscape that we live in now. So they were struggling to get down to that right size. But there is now just as much potential for smaller organizations to grow to that right size. And it's a race to see who gets there first, the big companies shrinking or the small companies growing. I think that's exciting. I think that's especially exciting for those of you who consider following at least some of my advice and starting your own media businesses. And now's a good time for you to do that or be thinking about doing that because you have mom and dad or mom or dad or a parent or guardian who will provide you with food and a bed and maybe laundry while you're working on this stuff. So be of good cheer and go out there and fight the good fight. It's not going to be easy. I came of age when I was your age uh, at a time when Richard Nixon was threatening journalists. Richard Nixon was in his own time, from the journalist point of view, as much a threat to the press as Donald Trump may seem now. But uh, as a nation, we survived. And at least for a while, we got a little bit better. I think it'll happen again. Yes? Uh, in your process of creating a blog, anyone can scrape together $65 to create a blog right now. Uh, but not once did you mention the requirements of an individual to create that blog, with a, a college degree or um, a strong sense of networking in that kind of field. So if you can start a blog right now, what's the point of going to college for journalism or for anything of that matter when you can do that blog right now? What's the point of going to college for journalism when you can do that right now. Well, I did mention, and I want to emphasize this, writing. And you get good, you can, if you pick the right school, get excellent training in writing. Professors, their job is to read your stuff like they hate you. Good professors will do that for you. It's a good training ground. The other thing is, college is a great way to make friends. My college friends my high school friends through the years have been great connections in helping me get jobs, helping me get interviews. College is a great way to make Twitter and Facebook friends who, again, are an invaluable resource in this time. College is great. It is something of a luxury now. And look, I had a great time in college. If you can go to college, I encourage you to do it. 
But if you can't, if your finances are such that you can't afford to go, and community colleges like College of DuPage or Moraine Valley, where my dad taught, those are great places to start if you can't afford a four-year university. But if you can't do it, I think the point you're raising is that you can learn an awful lot just by Googling how to write, how to write well. So there's a lot to be learned just by studying the Internet, which I encourage you to do whether you go to college or not. But yeah, it's not as essential as it used to be, precisely because there's so much knowledge out there on the Internet. One more question? Uh, so you mentioned using the Nuzzle app. Yes. Nuzzle follows the people that you follow. And like Facebook and like Twitter, especially Twitter, I think it's important that you make sure that you follow people you don't agree with. Smart people. That's, that's my number one criterion. Smart. Now, they can be smart people who you agree with, smart people who you disagree with. I follow, even though, as you might guess, I probably tend to lean a little on the liberal or progressive side, which is where I happen to think smartness leads you. <laughs> Nevertheless, I have, I have some very, very smart friends who are thoughtful, intelligent, literate, who happen to believe that less government can lead to better results. Libertarians, some conservative Republicans, members of the Federalist Society, and I try to make sure that I follow them too. I may not always agree with them, but I think it's important that I know. So Nuzzle serves up what smart people you're following are reading, and Nuzzle will deliver Opposing viewpoints, if you seek out opposing viewpoints, which I encourage you to do. I think I'm out of time. I'll be happy to talk to anyone who wants to talk to me personally. I have business cards. Thank you.